It's planting season, and it's not too late to make sure your crops grow up fed and happy. Regardless of your spring crop, Fed and Happy offers a variety of worm-casting solutions in liquid and solid form to supercharge your soil, your yields, and your profitability. For fast, vibrant germination and seedling growth, mix your seed with Fed and Happy's screened granular castings pre-drilling. The Fed and Happy liquid seed treat and extracts offer the ideal mix of soluble solids loaded with living beneficial biology, mycorrhizal fungi, humates, and more. The Fed and Happy small spreadable castings are ideal for fast, easy soil incorporation. The large offer long-term stability and soil growth. But you don't have to figure this out on your own. Just call 833-GO-WORMS to speak with our farm team experts for a fast turnaround on a custom solution for your needs. Fare better against pests, disease, drought, and other potential hazards this season with Fed and Happy Worm Castings. Visit FedandHappy.com for a healthy harvest and any lawn, garden, and tree care needs. Available for pickup and on-farm delivery. That's F-E-D-N-Happy.com. Or call 833-GO-WORMS. Happy planting. Welcome. You're listening to Casually Baked, the podcast. Home base for the can of curious. Thanks for tuning in. It's high time. We had a high time. Together. Together. Yes, it's high time. We had a Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, your host and cannabis lifestyle guide. Today's podcast is lit by the White Ash Group. If your cannabis company is in building mode, then you already know that finding qualified candidates that fit the job description and understand cannabis culture is harder than it sounds. I don't know about you, but I'm a pro at leading. But hiring, I haven't mastered. And hiring mistakes can cost companies hundreds of thousands of dollars in productivity loss and often damage that delicate work culture. White Ash Group understands the ins and outs and ups and downs of the cannabis industry and is North America's premier choice for cannabis staffing, recruitment, and executive search. They are empowering the industry trailblazers leading the way by providing top-tier talent and tailored hiring solutions for multi-state operators, LPs, the vape and tech industries, retail operations, and product and lifestyle brands. From seed to sale, roots to suits, and all that's growing in between, White Ash Group delivers pre-screened, pre-vetted candidates on a fast turnaround time. And if you're the one ready to get hired to be yourself in the cannabis space, be sure to check out their job board and set yourself up for success by proactively adding yourself to the White Ash Group database. And one of their recruitment experts will reach out. Tell them Joe sent you. Visit whiteashgroup.com for more information. Like so many of you, I miss traveling and seeing my friends, and I've particularly been missing my Canadian buds lately. And I was curious to know how Cannabis 2.0 is going in Canada during this crazy fest we call 2020. So I called up my friend Jameson Wellborn for a video chat. Jameson was recently named co-founder and chief commercial officer of Stewart Farms. You first met him on the 100th episode celebration of the podcast in Calgary, and again on the Emerald Cup special I did last year in Santa Rosa when we hotboxed the cannabis with him and Stewart Farms founder Tanner Stewart. On this podcast, Jameson and I talk food security, Canadian cannabis genetics, and pheno hunting. He gives me the scoop on the performance of the Cannabis 2.0 products packaging headaches, and the uphill battle of the edibles situation, and the come-up of high-quality cannabis flower on dispensary shelves. We talk about the glaring disconnect of what consumers want versus the parental attitude of the Canadian regulators, 
and the role education plays in finding the balance. And because we're both cannabis super nerds, this conversation takes a Sunday drive through cannabis culture. So fire up a favorite and settle in. It's time to get casually baked. Jameson Wellborn, co-founder and chief commercial officer of Stewart Farms. I dig it. Yep. It feels good. It feels good. It definitely feels good. Way to go. It feels like I'm in the right spot. So, yeah, no, I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. And, by the way, I had an amazing chat with your brother yesterday. Awesome. How fun is He's, it to, like, have your family in the business with you? It's really cool. It's not something that I would have thought he would have uh, done, but he's always been, like, super entrepreneurial. And his, his passion, like, my passion is cannabis. His passion is music. But he's, like, an entrepreneur at heart. And when he was able to see the tremendous opportunity that was there, um, you know, he was he was working for an IT company in for an IT staffing company. And, and you know, he told me after, you know, interviewing a couple of people, he's like, cannabis people are way cooler than IT people. So yeah, his, duh, uh, dot com, bro. <laughs> yeah. So he was uh, he's he's been doing great. He's killing it. He's in the US now, as you know, and I'm really proud of him. It was funny because we were talking about you know, he wanted to know how I knew you. And I'm like, I randomly met him at a 420 party at your parents' house. So <laughs> like yeah. I kind of am embedded in your family in an odd way already. Yeah, it's it's absolutely. You already met my parents. <laughs> so what is happening in your world? Shit is crazy over here on the West Coast. I mean, it's like everything's in fuego, and, and in fact, I've heard sirens this morning all over. Apparently, uh, Chinatown up the street from me is on fire. So, it's crazy. I mean, in comparison to what's happening on the West Coast, everything's fine over here. You know, we've got a lot of friends down there, and we're watching really closely and sending our love. And we kind of feel like we've got hands tied behind our backs, just with travel restricted with COVID and, and limited ways we can help. We've been, you know, donating money and participating in auctions where we can, but uh, Canada isn't facing any wildfires thank god but uh you know covid has really put put us on our head and um you know seeing where the industry has gone since covid has been interesting and, and you know we we're facing a bit of a downturn pre-covid and we were luckily one of the industries that you know covid actually helped we saw sale up in canada we saw cannabis use increase and um and rightly so i mean people are looking for ways to relax and they're spending more time in their homes. I mean, I think it's a great time to, to experiment and learn what cannabis can do for somebody. But uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, on that note, that's one of the big things when you are experimenting with any sort of psychedelic plant medicine, whatever, you know, you want to be in your own little cocoon safe space totally. the first time you're experimenting or if you're like, you know what? I wonder, this 25 milligram edible is great, but what if I did 50? What would that be like? You know, it's Absolutely. just like you have an opportunity to just go nuts, have fun with it. At least somebody like me. Yeah, I think we're in that same group together for sure. So when I was talking to your brother yesterday, he was describing, he's like, now I don't use cannabis like my brother. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, everybody, everybody's different. And, you know, he's found a way to use it. I'm trying to always push him to, to, to sort of try different ways. He's got, he found some, some lemon haze and uh, I told him to, to try that right before he worked out. And that's something that he didn't, you know, would never have considered to try. And I think he's, he tried it and he really liked it. So I, that might be, you know, a way that he can work cannabis into, into his normal routine a little bit more. Yeah. And I think that's something that a lot of people that haven't experimented with it, but like cannabis with your workout, cannabis with your meditation, or, you know, I love, I love to get really high before I start cooking. It's just fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think there's a lot of unique ways people can work it in. And I know, I, I think, you know, I think we're seeing that slowly more. I know, like, I've got some friends here doing some cannabis yoga stuff. And, some some cannabis hiking and, and, you know, just letting people know that, you know, you don't have to lock yourself in your house to, to experience this plant. And, yeah. you know, it can have positive effects outside of, you know, sitting down and watching Netflix. Yeah, exactly. This is not just a couch medicine. Absolutely. Well, so what are some of the trends right now in Canada? People are starting to get a little bit more curious. What are the things people are reaching for? Or maybe what are they asking for now that you think the market's going to kind of shift towards? 
So last year, uh, October 17th, Canada legalized what we called cannabis 2.0 products. So that was concentrates and edibles, Mm -hmm. um, as well as topicals. And because of the stringent regulation processes that that we have here in Canada, we're just starting to see those products come onto the market um, with some regularity. And I think they're going to continue to come on the market for the next 12 to 36 months. And then there'll be a new wave of of more unique products. But, um, you know, I think topicals is a big, a big segment of the market that's really hasn't been addressed. For me, when I'm trying to convert a a, a non-believer to cannabis and and the efficacy of it, I, I start with a topical. And I think that that's where a lot of people start. And, you know, people might not be comfortable ingesting something or smoking something, but they they are comfortable with a form factor of cream and rubbing something on their skin. Mm -hmm. And so that's a little bit easier of a a way to dip their toe into the experience with with great results. I mean, you know, very basic cannabis cream can absolutely work wonders, as as, you know, you and I know, and and I'm sure a lot of people do. So I think topicals are going to be front and center in um in the Canadian marketplace, uh, we're seeing edibles and beverages come online. The issues that we're seeing around edibles and beverages is the cap on the amount of allowable THC now or, or, or CBD. And we're, what we're, is that? On, on the that? edible side, we're capped at 10 milligrams. Okay. So 10 milligrams um, per total package or per serving? Per, t- per total package. Whoa. So that creates a, a huge issue with delivering, you know, quality being environmentally focused on reducing your packaging and offering the consumer what they want. I mean, I think, you know, I would argue a five milligram or 10 milligram edible would be a great entry entry point for a, for a new consumer. But the minute that you become a a more normalized consumer, you're now pricing yourself out and having to buy three, five, seven packages of, of, of something to, to get the desired effect you're after. Whereas topicals have a cap of a thousand milligrams of THC. And so, you're able to put a lot, and that and that goes the same for concentrates. So to me, I think that the regulators really came out with some with some good guidelines around uh, topicals and around concentrates. But I think that they missed the mark a little bit on edibles. And there are a lot of great companies that are bringing out you know great products. And I think you know people are going to be surprised with the beverage category. It's a bit of a sleeper, and I know a lot of you know, long time cannabis industry participants don't really see that form factor being a, a big hit in the long term market. But, um, but that's but I, stupid. That blows yeah, I, I see my it gaining mind. traction. And, and, and I think having that low number apply to beverages is smarter. Yes. Um, you know, I had a, a Lagunitas that was a thousand milligrams in California last time I was in Garberville and, and I knew what I was getting into, but, uh, you know, the average, <laughs> the average bear, um, you know, that would be a, that would be a night ender. And, you know, that's not always what, uh, what people are looking for. So I think these five milligram, 10 milligram, uh, beverages, you know, really will come into vogue and I see people using them. Um, but I think on the edible side, you know, we're facing a little bit of an uphill battle with that 10 milligram packaging and we're going to figure out a way we're going to, you know, as an industry, we're going to work between the lines and, you know, whether it's blister packaging or, you know, you have rolls of, of candies that could rip apart or you could either take a roll and you yeah. know, rip out five and then go buy five and pop them all out. But, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, really involved in the regenerative cannabis movement and, and sustainable farming. And, you know, from, from a packaging standpoint, it's just, you know, it's not ideal right now, but we're working with the the rules they gave us. Yeah, and you know to to speak to the drinks, the drinkables market, you know, it, to me it makes total sense for these low dose drinks because you know, you go to a party or you're going to watch a sporting event with your friends and you bring a six pack of beer. Yeah. It's that same totally. concept. I want to be able to have two or three or four of them and be, you know, where I want to be. But the the edibles thing, I mean, one of the most popular onboarding products here are like the low-dose mints. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's been a way that I've been able to get um, older people in my life who really could use the little bit of THC. That's a, a format that they're really comfortable with. But 10 milligrams, that's like four mints. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's like so much waste in packaging. And it just, I'm like, who came up with that rule? Clearly somebody that's never eaten edibles. 
I, I think it was a, a, a bit of a knee-jerk reaction when regulators, like a, a lot of comparisons were drawn to Colorado, which I found interesting versus as, as a comparison to the Canadian market. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I find that interesting that they chose Colorado. But, you know, we did see a spike in teen emergency room visits when edibles legalized in that market. And I think that was what the, the government was really scared of and trying to prevent from. And And I mean, on one hand, I disagree with a lot of what they do. And on the other hand, I have to understand that we're the first GIA country to recreationally federally legalize you know, cannabis. So, mm-hmm. you know, people are nervous and want to proceed with caution. And so, you know, it, it's up to us to really pressure the regulators to, you know, after having, you know, some evidence deregulate this industry a little bit and allow us to operate with a little bit more latitude. It, it almost feels like the concept of the super strict parent who mm-hmm. only after you have proven that you are responsible, are we going to start giving you a little bit more leeway? So, yeah. you know, it's, you got the stranglehold and they'll slowly loosen up the rein, so to speak. So it should yeah, be, that'll mean, be interesting didn't, we didn't concept. really see that, you know, the only comparable piece of history I can, I can look at is prohibition. And, and, you know, when that ended, we didn't really see the level of regulation that is currently being for, enforced by, you know, the federal government. So it's really going to be interesting to see how well a government body is actually able to deregulate from a highly regulated situation. Because typically in the past, you know, when we look at other case studies, we see a, an upregulation, not a down. Mm-hmm. So tell me this, what, you know, I haven't been to Canada now in 2020. And when I was, you know, visiting last year, you couldn't really go into a dispensary and find any high THC strains. And I know that You've got a lot. Now these boutique licenses are opening up. You've got people who are more canosaurs, so to speak, getting into the growing game. What's the flower transition looking like there? It's improving. It's constantly improving and improving at a at a actually a slightly faster rate than than I anticipated. And and you know, any grower will tell you when they move into a new grow room, it takes them at least three cycles to really understand that room. And that's what we're starting to see happen here in Canada is that you know, large scale operators built out these huge Ferrari facilities, and it's taking them a little time to dial in their processes. And and that's normal for 500 square feet. And that's normal for 50,000 square feet and up. Um, it's harder as you scale up and more problems become magnified as you scale up and, and you have less time to respond to problems before catastrophic failures happen as you scale up. And, and that's what we're seeing with, with, you know, large scale losses. And, and, you know, it's a learning curve growing cannabis, growing high quality cannabis is very complicated and takes a lot of time and effort and energy and thinking. And um, so, so we're starting to see higher quality players come to the market. We're starting to see some of the larger scale operators understand that we're probably not growing high quality flour. We're probably growing flour that will ultimately be put in secondary products like edibles, topicals, or concentrates. And I think that's a natural progression. I think everybody came in and said, we're all going to focus on high quality flour. And then when these operators really realized, you know, A, their facilities aren't built for high quality flour for whatever flour reason there is, or B, that that is just not their business model. And, you know, it's it's a lot less complicated taking a, a well-grown but not ideal flour for, for, for combustion extracting that, putting that into a vape pen and selling that as a value add product. So I think a lot of the first wave um, license holders, you're going to see transferring over to that category where they're, they're growing for, for infusing for, for secondary products. And then a lot of these new ways cultivators and some, and some old, there's always exceptions to every rule are, are really drilling down and, and focusing on, you know, mastering their process and, and determining, you know, how to pull the highest quality flower out of their rooms um we're our market is being completely driven by thc not cbd not one-to-ones high thc varietals and unfortunately um the the average consumer is equating quality with with thc percentage and you know what i like to say is that the the terpene profile really determines the direction of your trip and then the cannabinoid levels really determine how hard you push on that gas and how fast and quickly you and far you go in that direction and I learned that from Kevin Jodry. I didn't make that up myself, by the way. Well, um, and it's true. That's why I just said absolutely. smiled and nodded because you're exactly right. So our whole marketplace is is being driven by a, a factor that the real cannabis industry participants know isn't a value factor, which is how high 
a THC percentage can you offer for how low a price? And unfortunately, you know, if you want to make it in this business right now, those are the cultivars you have to be going after. Those, those are the numbers, you know, you have to be hitting above 20%. And if you can hit above 30%, that's even better. And, you know, I hope to see that slowly correct through education. And, and, you know, I try and do my part just as much as the next guy. But, you know, we see more mature markets like, you know, your market in California. And, and we still see t- high THC levels being a calling card and a factor to derive that $70 eighth. So, you know, it'll be really nice to see when, when, when Terps start getting pushed to the forefront of things. And, you know, it's not until you can you try high quality flour with high terp levels and low cannabinoids that you really understand this how this whole thing works and you know unfortunately quality has been you know the sacrifice in the rush to market and so without terps people can't really understand how important the role they play in your overall experience as you're saying that i'm just visualizing you know a tasting event where you have all these different flowers of different quality levels and just having, you know, a fresh grind and then put it to someone's nose, you know, just letting them smell the difference between, you know, something that's low quality where terpenes are not, you know, considered. Granted, any old farmer can grow anything and terpenes, cannabinoids, flavonoids, those are going to exist. But when someone has really dialed in their growing practice, that's when those things really elevate themselves. And until you've done that taste test or that, you know, the smelling comparison, you're right. People don't have any clue. That's the struggle that we're, we're facing is that you know, to ed- to better educate the consumer yeah. on, you know, what, what they're, what they are ultimately looking for is, is not a high THC experience, but it's up to us as cultivators to bring forward those cultivars that can deliver that experience to, to change those consumers' minds. But until the market is able to recognize the value in a high terpene level and a slightly lower cannabinoid level to make our businesses move forward, you know, a smaller you know, family run private operations, we have to listen to what the market is dictating. And for us as cultivators at Stewart Farms, we're now just more limited in in the genetics that we're looking through because we have to find really high quality terpene profiles accompanied by really high quality THC percentages. So, you know, instead of, you know, 100% of our library, we're only utilizing probably 40% of our library looking for those specific varietals. And, you know, speaking of genetics, I just was out at Humboldt Seed Company with Nat. And great guy. he is a great guy. And I I love learning more about what's happening with the genetics. And as a human being who's interested in epigenetics and, you know, how the things that I put into my body can change the expression of my genes, when we know that same thing happens in the plant and animal world... To me, that's just my next big curiosity is on the genetics of cannabis. So where does that stand in Canada? I know you've done a pheno hunt in a lot of different places around the world, but what what kind of genetics are coming out of the Canadian market? So Canada has a unique situation, and I applaud them for actually this decision. But on the long and arduous process that one must undergo to be granted a license under the, the Cannabis Act, Prior to being granted that license, you're you're now allowed a one-time genetic declaration. And there's no real deep dive into where those genetics came from. The government has basically recognized that we've had a thriving cannabis economy for the last 50 plus years. And um, there's a lot of great genetics floating around and it would create a logistical nightmare to try and verify and track the genetics that individual groups are bringing in. So you know, we have a great opportunity to, to work with a lot of great breeders around the world and, and source a lot of great genetics and, and bring them in through through a one-time declaration. And um, some groups are focused more on that and some groups aren't. And I think, uh, you know, that, that depends on your business plan and, and depends on, on how you want to execute in the market. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about the evolution of, of Stuart Farms and and where y'all are now in the process. I mean, last time I saw you, it was, was it in December at the Emerald Cup? It was at Emerald, yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, yeah. Lots happened since. So uh, we, we were actually granted our license to cultivate and process 
um, from Health Canada. We moved plants into our facility on April 20th, um, funny enough, and uh, that was a big day for us. Um, we currently occupy 10,000 square feet of a, of a 100,000 square foot built out facility. And um, we're really looking to optimize every square foot and generate as much revenue out of that little space as we can. So right now, what we're doing is, is we're working on an infused topical line and we've got an incredible uh, herbalist in-house, um, Katrina Jackson, who grew up and her mother was actually a herbalist and, and she's working on our bath bomb launch right now where we hope to have uh, a bath bombs in at least New Brunswick, Saskatchewan and Alberta before ready for Christmas. So hopefully by November. Um, and we're really excited about that. We've got some, some topicals and, and massage oils that we're, we're excited to release in the new year. And then, um, genetics. So we're, 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 we went long on genetics. We're, we're, we believe that, you know, having a large genetic library is going to prove valuable in the years to come. And, and so we either have one of the smallest cultivation facilities in Canada, or one of the largest pheno hunting facilities. And we've determined, you know, our direction is going to be genetics and, so we're currently looking through a, a, a bunch of uh, a bunch of seeds that we brought in on our genetic declaration. A lot of it right now is actually uh, uh, Fletcher's work from archive. We're doing a, a face-off OG pheno hunt where we've got a, about seven crosses in a room that we're going through and, and really excited about. And we think you know we'll be able to deliver that that really gassy tur profile that people are looking for, along with the high THC. Other than that, we, we've got a we've got a freeborn selection pop from Jackson's Enter out of uh, Mean Gene from Mendocino, and uh, he uh, he's an incredible breeder that we've got a great close relationship with, and we're looking through um, a lot of his stuff right now. Some of the Sky Jaro, some of the the what else do we have? The Cherry West, the Double Kush. Um, yeah, he he he's got a talent, and, and and that's a breeder that's not always looking for for high is not really looking at all for high cannabinoid content he's breeding for terpenes and and so you know we've got to manage his work and and you know not pop too many beans but look through what we think could present you know items for high cannabinoid levels as well as a high terp content but um we want to get great genetics out to the to the public and and you know if we can facilitate that um you know that furthers our initiative of, of access to cannabis for people across the board so um that's something we're working on right now and then we're working with a lot of local micro cultivators um the pinch point for them is they have a an issue getting their flower to market so not only are we working with uh, a lot of them on the front end providing some genetics for some of them but we're also working on the back end with the, the packaging processing and, and getting to market and and utilizing their brand and building up their brand we uh you know we want to see a lo lot of these small micro cultivators you know have gotten the short end of the stick with this regulations and you know we've been lucky enough to raise money and and get our license and travel around and become well networked and and not not all of these groups did and and you know we want to share that network that we've built and and you know help those groups move forward so i like um, that let me interrupt because that absolutely. sounds a lot like the model that Flocana did here yeah. in northern california however yeah that product is packaged under the Flocana name and it says it's from, you know, Huckleberry Hill Farms or Moon Maid Farms or whatever, but it's under this Flocana brand. So I really like that you are helping these people and creating this co-op style opportunity, but then allowing them to brand their own bud. I mean, Absolutely. and we have to use brand and air quotes in Canada because, yeah. you know, it's not like y'all can it's do it. It's very limited right on now. what you can do, but I mean, everybody's got a story and we meet these father-son teams that you know have been 30 years farming and decided to get into cannabis and you know we we want those stories told we want uh you know we want that out there and and you know some some groups will choose to brand under under a, a generic brand and some groups will say listen we want to um and not generic it's 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 a it's an it's an homage to atlantic canada so so we're kind of offering a, a house brand that stewart farms probably won't participate in but but those micros will and then if they say listen we want to do our own thing. We've got a great story here. We go, we completely support you and, and we're just here to help you on your, your journey. So, if, yeah. you know, ultimately that branding exercise might take a little off the top. And if that's something that you're okay with, we're totally okay with that too. So yeah, it's, it's been really, it's been really a good journey and, and we're really excited. We've kept our team really small and, and it's, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're looking to, to set an example and do things the right way. So um, we actually had to go get our fish from the U S during COVID, which was 
I didn't do it. Our 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 the other, our co-founder and, and CEO Tanner Stewart he he made the risk. I was actually back here in Calgary, but uh, he actually documented it and made a little video out of it. But uh, that was, I'm sure, a pretty uncomfortable exercise during a global pandemic and a and a border lockdown. So working yeah. in in cannabis, so. So crossing tell me, borders is never fun. How how did that go? I mean, how are the fish? They found the their fish new are great. Home. Uh, we we received them. You know, Tanner can tell his own story. You know, they he got a little bit of hassle at the border, <laughs> but uh, but he got you know he got through, and and everybody you know you always get through. It's just a little bit of a headache, and uh, he he it was funny because he was giving a hard time both going into the U.S. and then coming back into Canada, and he called me in the middle of the night right after it happened and gave me the play by play, and we were laughing together. And, um, but it, it was, a, you know, it, it's been good because, you know, fish are a big part of our mission and, and, you know, a big differentiating factor for us. And so getting those into the facility really helped us gain a, a handle on our identity because for a while there we were we were just operating without fish and the fish room was quiet and it it, uh, it, it didn't feel right. So I'm, you know, I'm really excited we got those going and it'll be a little while till they scale up and we can actually be, you know, deriving nutrient from them. But once they're once they're scaled up, they're. There'll never be another day where Stewart Farms doesn't have fish in the facility. So a momentous day when when that when the fish came in. Yeah. So for people that haven't listened to our past episodes, just give your elevator pitch on on Stewart Farms aquaponics facility. Absolutely. So we've partnered with a, a group by the name of Logics out of the Netherlands, and we're helping design the the world's first vertical automated aquaponically fed system for fruiting crops and cannabis being a fruiting crop. And, and so our plan is to basically fund our innovation through the sale of our, of the cannabis that we grow on our journey back to food. Cause we really think we're designing a system that, you know, not only will be able to grow really quality cannabis cultivars, but, but any fruiting crop across the board. And, and, you know, I know food security is something that's really front of mind right now. And, and, you know, we think that we might have a great solution to that, or we do have a great solution to that. So, um, yeah, we're very excited. Uh, a couple of our co-founders uh, came from the indoor vertical farming space in Leafy Greens. So they ran a, a successful uh, indoor vertical farm fed by aquaponic nutrients in Edmonton called Nutriponics and uh, made an exit from that when uh, they decided to, to take what they'd learned and, and move it into cannabis. And I'm very happy they did. Into a bigger cash crop, right? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. We're doing this crazy thing. We're trying to fund innovation through revenue it's it's a weird thing that not <laughs> really is common but uh we're so, gonna we're crazy guys that are gonna try it the one thing that i have been so grateful for is the introduction to the need to grow documentary absolutely that tanner was involved with i mean it has made a big impact on some of the career decisions that i have made and you know has just made me be louder about food security and regenerative farming and the local vor mentality and, you know, utilizing spaces in these concrete jungles to put together urban farming versus another parking structure. So thank you for y'all for introducing me to that. I love it so much. And I appreciate getting to watch y'all do this. I mean, it's exciting. Yeah, I, I mean, that that movie changed my life, too. It really spoke volumes to the kind of guy that Tanner is. And, you know, he, he had just met uh, Mark and Ryan. I'm, I'm going to mess their names up. But the two directors of the movie, um, when he had just had his son and he, it, you know, sat down with them for an hour. And within an hour, he had, you know, committed to, to basically fund this movie. And, and this was something that needed to be done. You know, just being associated with it has been a, a real blessing. And, you know, I... I when I was, you know, 18 years old and starting to fall in love with cannabis, I, I never thought that I'd, you know, appreciate regenerative soil or, or the journey that this plant has brought me to and, and the decisions that I now make and the prerogatives that I push forward are, are just, you know, so different than, you know, what I, what I, where I thought and what I thought I would be doing growing up, growing cannabis with salt-based nutrients in hydroponic settings, you know, it, it where I've come from and, and, what I think now it, it yeah the movies the movies changed me for sure and getting to meet those people and travel around and talk to them and you know that got us a foot doorway into the regenerative farming community specifically the cannabis community and you know being able to connect with guys like Nick Risden and Leighton Morrison and Joshua Rutherford and Kevin Jodry and, and and those guys those guys have had dramatic impact on the way that I 
move through this world right now and 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 they, they it'll stay with me like it's a community i'm proud to be a part of for sure yeah and the one thing i'll also add to that is being now in a position where i get to travel to farms and sometimes driving for an hour and a half on a dirt road to get to some of these farms and to see it and to put my hands in that soil and to look at it I now am like oh yeah there's a giant difference this is this is actual soil and everything I normally see is dirt yeah you know yeah. like those those two words are not interchangeable no no you know, and having celebrities like Dr. Elaine Ingham, like, you know, like I, like the, those are the people that are really, you know, setting standards, pushing boundaries, passing knowledge on and, and, you know, really furthering the prerogative of cannabis. And I think, you know, cannabis is the gateway to regenerative farming. Like it's the crop that you'll put the most effort in. And then when you see the return, you go, well, why don't I do this with everything? And why don't I, I apply you know, regenerative aspects to every part of my life and, or, or more parts of my life. And so, you know, I think, you know, yeah, that group that's pushing that, that messaging out is, is a really special group to me for sure. Well, and that's also the medicine of mama cannabis. Like, mm -hmm. you, you know, you are just absorbed into it and you are, you really do feel that connection to earth and space and humanity and community and all of those things. And so you're exactly right. The more I got into my cannabis culture, the better human I feel like I became. For sure. For sure. Absolutely. Well, tell me, is there anything exciting happening in your world um, that we haven't talked about that I should ask you? I mean, a lot's exciting. I'm getting ready to head back out East. Um, we're going to be harvesting. We did a, a personal medical grow uh, pheno hunt that will ultimately be brought in, uh, whose genetics will ultimately be brought in by a, a subsequent declaration on a, on a micro cultivation that we're setting up. But uh, I'm really excited to see a lot of those genetics and how they express themselves close to the end of the year. I haven't been out there for 60 days, so a lot has changed. Oh, I bet um, you're going nuts being away yeah, that far no, away I'm from pretty the excited. The market here in Canada is tough. Um, the shine is knocked off the industry. Um, you know, it's no longer a, a sexy thing to be going into cannabis where, where money falls from the roof. Um, it's now a real business. And in a sense, I, you know, in a, in a small way, I like it that way. Um, we're seeing some of the, the tourists who, you know, came in and, and greatly benefited from the industry leaving and going on to the next hot thing. So, you know, I think it leaves a lot of us who, who are really here for the right reasons to, to pick up the pieces and move the industry forward. Um, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited about the future. I'm excited about the product mixes that, uh, that are coming online. I think there's some really great companies that are, that are bringing products to market. Our, our friends at Thrive Cannabis just brought uh, HTFSE, like it, they call it a Terp slash. It's, it's Graybeard Cannabis and, and it looks absolutely phenomenal. I haven't had a chance to try it uh, out here in Alberta, but I will when I pass through uh, Ontario next time. And, and you know, I, I think products like that, you know, shout out to them are you know, really going to define the new consumers going forward. And I think, you know, um, educate, 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 you know, the more we can push forward and share with people, you know, about cannabis, because it's, it's overwhelming. People are overwhelmed and there's a lot of misinformation out there. And, you know, where do I start? It's like drinking from a fire hose. So, um, yeah, no, I, I just think, you know, doing what you do and podcasts and things like that are just so important to kind of get the word out and, and pique the interest of, the can of curious. Yeah, absolutely. And when you were saying all that, I did have one thought. So when you go back and y'all are, you know, looking through all of these plants and what's producing and say you do have something from the Mendocino breeder or the mm -hmm. Humboldt breeder, are you going to use that in your marketing to like really showcase that you've got, you know? A absolutely. Absolutely. As much as we are allowed within the confines of the law, we at Stewart Farms are not going to relabel anything. That's not our work to relabel. And, and in my opinion, it's not any company's work to relabel. And the reason that we have these crazy names, well, there's a reason, you know, people put effort into this and dedicated their lives to this. And to t take something and call it relaxed to me is, is really offensive. Um, like I have a real problem with that. And so, no, Girl Scout cookies or White Shark or something like that, the, the regulation within Health Canada will 
require us to change something, but GSC or pay a homage to, to where this came from. Like to me, the lineage, the breeders are the most important part of this whole thing and we yes. wouldn't be here without them. Yes. And so you'll never see Stuart farms put out a relax or a calm or anything like that. Bless ever. You. And, you. uh, you know, we're limited. We're very limited in the interaction that we can have. And really we can say, look for Stuart farms to push that envelope. That's a promise that I can give. You know, we're, we're not going to be shy and we're not going to say this is Stuart Farms's XYZ strain. We're going to say, no, 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 this is Fletcher's or this is, you know, Emerald Mountains or this is Nats, you know, and, mm-hmm. and it, that's that's how I think this game should be played. I think so, too, because then that also it lends to that same experience. If you go to a restaurant and you're checking out a wine menu and it's like, these are our French wines, these are our Italian wines, this is our BC bud, this is... Yeah. Alberta, this is Northern California, you know, this is the Emerald Triangle, whatever. And yeah. I think that's important. And I, and for someone who knows what they're looking for, that's a way better way it's to information. shop. It's information yes. is what it is. It's, a, oh, okay, I can, I can tell from that name. I know some of those familial genetics. And I can tell roughly if that's going to be something that I'm looking for or not. Mm-hmm. But when you tell me it's relax, I'm at a loss, right? And then, you know, the bud tender typically doesn't know what relax is because the the company that cultivated it didn't tell them. Right. Yeah. And, and so I don't think it's our place to rename these strains. And then, you know, I, we could go into it down a rabbit hole, but I also think we need to, to name phenotypes or chemovars within the strain just as much as we need to name the strain. And I know that adds another level of complexity to it, but you know, if you and I both pop up a hundred seeds of an identical genetic, my selection and your selection are going to be different. And so they should be known as, xyz strain jameson selection xyz strain joe selection yeah and your selection is going to be more fruity and or, or what, whatever you know your senses guided you to and my selection is going to be you know a little bit different and you can have such different expressions within you know an f1 generation that i think as an industry to avoid confusion we need to step in that direction without losing sight of the, the strain but also saying okay well you know this was somebody's cut that I got. And so they, they made that selection or if they didn't make that selection, they know who made that selection. And then let's honor the selection as well as the, the strain. Mm-hmm. And then you can kind of differentiate because, you know, there's three different companies going Girl Scout cookie on in Canada in the legal market. And I bet you, if you plug those into the, the galaxy that they'd be on three different places. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, I don't, I, I would argue that some of that isn't even Girl Scout, but, but um, that's another conversation, but like, <laughs> You know, I, I think that, you know, our industry is complicated and we, you know, we need to come together and, and work out ways to go through that. And I think, you know, groups like Greenflower, I shout out to, like, you know, Max Simon and, and the crew over there developing the Gangier. I, I think that, you know, he's pulled together the right people um, to speak on this. And those are the people that, you know, I listen to and, and, you know, I'll be participating in that course for sure. So, yeah, I like, I, you know, genetics are complicated and we need to we need a way to come together in, in, as an industry and say, this is the way we're going to present it to the layman because beer did that, you know, beer did that well because I'm not a big beer drinker, but I know hops and barley and, and grains and malt and, and, you know, I know all these words. I can't really tell you, you know, in detail the processes or anything, but that's because I'm not interested in it. And that's, you know, that's totally fine. But the industry, you know, the craft beer industry has come together and at least, you know, by osmosis, I know a few terms and have a rough idea of how things work. And I think, you know, if we can do that as, as a cannabis and as an industry, you know, that's, that's the level that I want people at where they can just participate in a high level conversation without feeling lost. I have a lot of, you know, times I'm talking to a group of people and you see three or four people and it looks like I'm speaking a different language and, you know, you kind of have to pull those people aside and start from a different, you know, starting point with them. And, and then they go, oh, okay, okay. And, and you know, sort of hold their hand a little bit more. But, you know, I, I think that's important for sure. I think it is too. And whenever y'all get to the point where it's time to start having these conversations about the flower that you're producing, if you can't market it, you can sure shit talk about it to somebody yeah. like me. And we can create these micro stories that are palatable to the mainstream consumer. So, you know, I- and every, every strain has a story, like, you know, like that's kind of where, you know, we know we can go and, and where I think everybody should go is tell me the story of 
the cut that you're running. There's a story behind that cut. There's a story behind the strain. And then there's a story behind the selection. And then there's a story about how that cut got into your hands. There's three stories there. Three stories I would love to hear about, you know, as a consumer. And, and I think that bringing back that rich past and is, is something that, you know, people are, people like yourselves are doing, you know, and, you know, GW Smoke Break and all these groups are saying, well, let's talk about Mandelbrot. Let's talk about the Royal Kush line. Let's, let's bring a legend and lore back to, you know, this stuff's only being passed around in Humboldt and, and we got to bring it out. Like, you know, this thing's going global and, you know, people want to know these things. People want to know the guy behind the selection or the guy behind the flavor and, you know, why he chose like this or about the raid where he lost this special cut and then had to work this line back to get to where he was to get to where he is today. Like, like I just eat that stuff up. Like I can't get enough of it. So, um, you know, I think bringing that out in a, in a digestible way for entry level and, and kind of curious people is, is it'll allow them to assign like a memory to the strain name. And then you're able to remember that better. And, and, you know, oh, and I remember it's parental genetics because I watched that show and it was so interesting because he took these two selections and put them together. And then you can start building your library, you know, your own uh, library in your head so that when you do hear these strain names, you can go, oh, well, I do know, you know, I think I know what half that is. I wonder what the other half is. And then you go out and find the story about the, you know, the, the male in the equation, like why, you know, where'd this come from? So yeah. I think there's a lot of, of ways we can get around it get around the marketing and, and still build these stories. I just think you actually have to be passionate and part of the culture to get to these things. And, you know, if you're a visitor that's passing by and looking at cannabis, like a widget, like good luck having the interest to dive into this stuff. You'll never be able to keep up with me. So. Yeah. Well, and too, you know, when you create interested consumers, then they keep coming back to you 100%. for more. Not and you know if you're the widget cannabis salesman, you're gonna catch me at the Seven Eleven one time in a pinch, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. It's the relationship forming. Like I mean, I look at breeders and cultivators like sports athletes, and you know I think that that's you know I hope that's where we're going, where you know people will follow a breeder or a grower or a rosin presser or a rosin mixer you know, wherever they go, because they, they like that style. They like that person's personality and the influence that they bring to their cultivation or their art, whether it's, you know, solventless hash or, or whatever it is. Like, you know, these are the people that I look up to. These are the people that I aspire to be and want to be around and talk to. And that's how I see this going is that, you know, when you grow a room of cannabis or you wash hash or whatever, like that's part of you you know, especially if you're involved in the selection of the genetic and, and our energy and our intention yeah. is a part of it that that energy goes along with that plant on its journey. And yeah. of course, as a as a storyteller and a pot nerd, this is all music to my ears. So I always love absolutely. To you. Absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time. I um, anytime, Joe. Yeah, I was like, I need to have a chat with you. It's been a while. So thanks for mm -hmm. making time for me. And um, let's just do this again periodically. Since I can't travel to Canada, I need you to help me keep a finger on the pulse, so to speak. Absolutely. I'll be here. All right. Well, I'll talk to you soon, Jameson. Awesome, Joe. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Uh -huh. Did your ears perk up when Jameson mentioned Terp Slush by Graybeard Cannabis? <laughs> Hello, minded. For those of you that don't know, a live resin terp slush is an elevated version of high terpene full spectrum extract. Graybeard uses small batch cannabis grown outdoors at Thrive Farm near the shores of Lake Erie, Ontario. Thrive was one of the first licensed producers in Canada to grow outdoors in 2019. Now, to be deemed live resin, as the flower is harvested, the crop is flash frozen to seal in the cannabinoids and terpenes until they are ready to be extracted. So the live resin part means that the curing or drying phase of the process is eliminated, which greatly increases the terpene content of the final product. The flash frozen flower later goes through a proprietary extraction process and the result is highly aromatic and flavorful concentrates known as terp slush. Now, when I'm shopping for concentrates, I really care about the texture and consistency. 
Because the stickier it is, the harder it is to get off your dab tool, especially if you're on the go and your concentrate is warm or it's at room temperature. Of course, when you're at home, you keep your concentrates refrigerated so they're easier to work with. So this Terp Slush, it has a granular consistency that makes it easy breezy to use in dab rigs and pens. So if you are in Ontario, then I highly recommend you give Graybeard Cannabis a shot. You can head over to the podcast 154 show notes at casuallybaked.com to learn more about Graybeard Cannabis, Thrive Farm, and Stewart Farms. And if you have a Canadian friend that's curious about cannabis, I hope you'll share this episode of Casually Baked, the podcast with them. As Jameson mentioned, education is key to evolving both attitudes and regulations. Speaking of, the election is almost here and I promise you, your vote matters. Don't let that short-term memory loss thwart your election day participation, my friend. Make sure you're registered to vote right now. It'll take you 30 seconds to check and less than two minutes to get her done if you're not. So go on over to headcount.org and commit to participating in democracy on November 3rd. If you're a novice grower looking to up your game, subscribe to the Casually Baked YouTube channel and check out the Cannabis Growing Tips playlist. Next week on the podcast, Dr. Linda Klumpers, a PhD cannabis pharmacologist, joins me to answer a listener question about cannabis and pregnancy. Message me your can of curious questions to be answered on a future episode of the podcast. You can do that through the website at casuallybaked.com or find me on social. I'm at Casually Baked on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you're picking up what I'm putting down, please rate and review Casually Baked on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. That action helps others find this highly responsible cannabis content. And if you know how much damn work this is and you want to support my efforts, please consider becoming a podcast patron for as little as $5 per month. Head over to patreon.com backslash casually baked and puff puff pass it on. Casually Baked the podcast was created, recorded, and produced by yours truly. Editing and mixing performed by Q9 Productions. The podcast theme music is by my highly talented friend, Seth Walker. If you aren't familiar with Seth's music, you can find High Time on his album, Gotta Get Back, wherever you're buying your music these days. I know he didn't create High Time for me, but it sure as shit sounds like he did, right? I hope you'll tune in next time. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.